I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Good morning, America, England, and the rest of the world. It's a Monday, the Celtics won, so it's a very happy Monday. Gordon Hayward's back to a Utah version of Hayward. I doubt that he's going to be required to be at that level moving forward. But please, can we just keep seeing it? Because it's super fun to see. Jalen Brown had a good night, led the entire team, sorry, the entire game in rebounds. Jason Tatum put the team on his back. A few concerns around Kemba Walker. We're going to touch on that. And then we're going to go into some other topics as well. So we keep things nice and fresh for you guys. It's just me and Tim today. We're rocking it early Monday morning style because we didn't want to be recording at like 2 a.m. my time. Well, I say we. I didn't want to be recording at 2 a.m. my time. <laughs> you speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not 2 a.m. for you, is it? It's like 10 p.m. That's a reasonable time. How's it going, Tim? It's going all right, man. Hang it in. Living life, yeah? Oh, absolutely. Just soaking in the sun. <laughs> yeah, it's been humid as hell here. Like too much. Yeah, I'm not digging it. I want some rain. I never thought I'd say that. I want some rain. Please. There's weather warnings here now for the next four days for um, thunderstorms covering the country. So I'm, uh, I'm just waiting. Yeah, we had that too. We had a tornado warning probably like last weekend. You guys get bad. tornadoes out there? Not really often, to be honest. Not in Massachusetts. Not, they're like very infrequent. Everything's brickwork there though, right? So it's not as bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's not enough flat terrain for it to actually land. Anyway, basketball stuff. Yeah, I mean, people need to know this stuff. This is educational for when people are tr- planning trips to Boston. <laughs> Evidently me. I need to know. <laughs> Inquiring minds. Anyway, so let's, let's start off with Hayward, man. Hayward was the star of the game. He deserves the first uh, piece of recognition. He is played... it scandalous? Say that again? Is it scandalous to say this might be his best game that we've seen in a long time? It was his fifth 30-point game for the Celtics since he signed his contract. Okay, so I'll take it. But yeah, so, I mean, um, I'm kind of looking at this as his first season with the Celtics, if you want to start looking at it in health and stuff. Like, okay, yeah, he played last year, but he was never himself. This year has been much more what we all hope to see from Hayward in the beginning. What I did like was that burst that everybody was speaking about across social media and on TV. Was that burst look back? More interesting to me was the way the Celtics ran their sets to get Hayward the ball when they needed a bucket. I also noticed that they were driving a lot more with him. He's specifically, as you said, with that burst, I saw him actually physically going up, finishing through contact, dunking. He had at least one alley-oop layup finish at one point. They're clearly trying to get him motivated and going in terms of offense. They're doing a lot to try and put the ball in his hands. And I think he said it post game in one of the interviews was saying, when I'm playing aggressive, we're playing our best basketball. So that's important as a recognition, not only of Gordon Hayward saying, this is what I need to be doing for us to reach that next level, but it's also, Hey, I feel comfortable in doing that now. And that is a massive improvement on what we've seen. Yeah. Cause far too much over his tenure in Boston, he's been passive, not aggressive. He's been happy to kind of deter the ball especially last year. I know that on our previous podcast, before we moved over to Celtics blog, we spoke about this at length. He would happily deter the ball on drives. He would avoid contact. Last night, it wasn't like that. He was hunting at his, his spots. He was, he was literally hunting his man. He would make sure he got switched on to the guy he felt like he could take off the dribble. 
he would get the rock. He would take him off the dribble. He would rise up from mid-range, hit his mid-range shots. And I like the fact that, in, I think it was at the end of the third, there was like 12 seconds left and Boston had the ball. And they were running down the clock so they could get the, um, they could get the final possession. And they ran what's called a corner split which was designed to get Hayward open in the mid-range and allow him to either drive or pull up. The Magic read it really well, and the ball went out of bounds, and then it went back to Boston for the final possession again. And after the inbounds play, who did they look for? Hayward. So they ran two sets back-to-back, even after the first one kind of broke down, because they knew Hayward was their option at that point in the game. He was having one of his best nights in green. And I feel like this is going to be the start of more to come. I feel like this is the Hayward that we're going to grow to expect. And I think it's also important that he's hitting this groove right before we get into the playoffs. Uh, We've talked about it a little bit previously, but now at this point with Toronto having closed out that two seed, you've got Boston firmly planted in that three spot. Right now it's just a matter of getting those rotations right, making sure everyone's on the same page. And for a guy like Gordon Hayward to come in and have these kind of confident games is huge. I think in terms of what you're seeing now is you're going to have to have defensively going against the Celtics. You're going to need to be able to prepare to defend three different guys. And if you really want to, if you want to be specific four different guys at any given moment, because if they go ahead and let's say Gordon Hayward's having an off night. Okay. Well, they're going to kick it over to Jason Tatum. Oh, and Jason Tatum, he's going to defer to Jalen Brown, or you're going to have Daniel Tice putting screens at the top of the key to get Kemba Walker open for threes. So you've got a lot of things going on right now that are good for the Celtics and they're offensively firing on all cylinders. Yeah, we say they're offensively firing on all cylinders, but we never touched on Kemba Walker's very, very uncharacteristic night. That was tough, man. Um, The most minutes he's played since the team enters the bubble and he just failed to get it done. I mean, I was really shocked at halftime when he only had one bucket, one point, not even a bucket. And that was a free throw. Technical, yeah. It was, um, it was tough to see. A lot of it looks like he's a bit tentative around the rim, which is what we've come to see from Hayward. And he's got past that. But if you, want, if you expect Boston to make this deep run, knowing that eventually Hayward's got to leave the bubble and you can't blame him for that, that's more than understandable. Then once that happens, the pressure's going to be put evenly distributed between Tatum, Walker and Brown that little bit more because now you don't have that fourth option that can come in and be Batman on every, any given night. I'm not concerned about Kemba, are you? Not particularly. I think I think if you look at the bubble overall, you know, we've seen some minutes from him where he's just kind of getting established, getting his feet under him. We had him nursing that knee injury, still coming back in and just trying to figure out how they're going to manage it going forward with his minutes. But this is really the first bad game we've seen from him in the bubble, I think. And even then, it wasn't like it was a great Celtics performance overall. Yeah, they won the game, but it went to overtime. They weren't playing the defense they should have. We saw a big night from Tatum. We saw a big night from Brown. We've seen continued growth from Rob Williams. And we've seen everything we need to see on the offensive side of things, minus Kemba's issues. But it it wasn't a great game. The, this was kind of a letdown. This is the issue that you don't want to see with this team is them playing down to their competition. Like, for example, if they line up with Philly and Philly doesn't have Ben Simmons and you've got Joel Embiid who's dealing with some kind of ankle sprain or something that he hurt in the game, which we'll cover later. But 
you don't want them playing down in their competition. And this was a clear example of that. They came off a really big win against Toronto, who I am very certain of was not showing their entire playbook to us, especially when you consider that they might face them in the second round. So I don't know. It was a little bit of a letdown game. They still won, but at the end of the day, these wins aren't going to matter right now. They're already locked in their seating. So I'd rather see the Celtics play a really, really tough basketball game where they played their system perfectly and they still lose. I would prefer that over this kind of ugly, choppy win where they just, they weren't up to snuff. I mean, all credit's got to go to Orlando there. They're a really well-coached defensive team. They made life really tough on the perimeter and the interior. I'm actually writing something at the moment, should be released later today or tomorrow. And one of the lines is that in there is, when driving against the Orlando Magic, when they're anchored by Vucevic, that's tough, man. Like trying to get to the rim and get around Vuce, as well as fighting through the contact that's coming off their perimeter, guys. They're really well coached and they make life hard to score. So for this, the way that game went, I wasn't too kind of taken aback by how much they kind of put the clamps on at certain points during the game. And then offensively, they look great with Markel Fultz. I mean, absolutely. Markel Fultz has just been... <laughs> I think if you look at the situation, it's just funny. I feel like Philly quit on him too soon. And he's just developed. Yeah, if he was in Philly right now, that would be a different story because he's really coming into his own this year. When we're talking about guys coming into their own this year, we're going to be wrong if we don't bring in Time Lord's name. This dude has really... I mean, I put a tweet out yesterday saying Grant Williams isn't playing again. I wonder why he's fell off the rotation. For some reason, it never occurred to me, like, yo, Time Lord's getting those minutes, and it was Keith Smith from Celtics Blog, shout out Keith, that kind of replied to me and was like, well, who's playing instead of Williams? Time Lord, Time Lord's playing because he's giving you more robust minutes. He's offering you, an, and then this is my outlook now, my analysis, he's offering you an outlet on offense as well as defense. And at the moment, I only saw him get faked out once during that Magic game. And you can live with getting faked out once. Everybody gets faked out once when you're playing at that level. Smart gets faked out. Like, if people are screaming about Smart's defense and Smart gets faked out, you can't hold it against Time Lord if it only happens once across the game. Scoring-wise, him and Smart are almost telepathic on that double screen. I'll put that out there as well. The Celtics are running a double screen with Smart as the ball handler. As Smart runs into the first screen... Time Lord will slip so the second screen doesn't connect, create contact. And what that does is it leaves him open in the mid-range for, for him to either kind of short roll and then pop, which we're not really seeing much of. But over the next 6 to 12 months, I'm assuming that's going to become a staple. But at the moment, he's just continuing to roll and catching that lob off Smart. And that's like easy money buckets for those guys. And they tend to run it whenever Smart and Time Lord enter the, enter the floor at the same time. And he's getting faster and just picking up everything, right? Just not even just from an offensive standpoint, but defensively, he's getting to his spots. The big key thing, as you said, with the pump fakes, he's staying on his feet more often than not now. Because it's like, oh, yeah, I have a massive wingspan. I have like a seven foot three wingspan. I can defend this without leaving my feet. So I think it's a matter of him getting comfortable to using his frame without getting airborne. Maybe it was different at the collegiate level, but that's going to be crucial in order to last in the NBA long term. You can't be leaving your feet defensively, especially if you're that big. There's just no reason to. And offensively, he's, he's getting to those spots perfectly. He's, he's setting his screens right. He's learning how to set those properly. He's getting open for lobs. He's moving the ball. That's a big part of it, too, is based on his size – 
he's able to get passes off a lot easier than you think. And this is nothing against Grant Williams either. I think Grant deserves time too. But Time Lord's offering to put your team in a different level than I think Grant does because of his size, because of his passing, because of his natural ability to get blocks. I mean, he's just creating a lot of disruptions on defense. And that's going to be crucial when you're looking at a team like Milwaukee. If you're looking at a team like Philly with Joel Embiid, you need to be able to put size against them. And of course, when you're looking at it from that angle, Ennis Cantor, not a defensive presence. Offensively, there's still a lot to be desired there. Still a great rebounder, but you need someone who can run with you. And I think Rob Williams is that, is that player. Do you know what I think Rob's eureka moment was on defense? I think his eureka moment was when he stayed on his feet, kept big, and this is against Toronto, and then got, got that block on Ibaka, and he didn't leave his feet. That was the eureka yes. moment for me where he was like, the coaches weren't lying. If I just get big, I'm going to block <laughs> shots without moving. Like, to me, that was his light bulb turning on moment, and I was so happy to see that happen. And it was a big, it was a big team to do it against, you know, right? Toronto. Yeah. Ibaka, dude, you blocked Ibaka without moving. Like your hand just encompassed his entire airspace. He was just like, no. It's like a Thanos moment. It was, uh, it was great to see, man. I really enjoyed watching that. That kind of brings me to the end of my takeaways with this team. I would have liked to send some Romeo minutes down the stretch. Completely understand why we didn't. I'm not going to be one to cry about that. I understand that you play the best. You, you play every game to win. That's the type of coach Brad Stevens is. I understand there's sections of the support that would prefer to see some of the rookies now. The games are kind of nonchalant. But to me, you're giving the reps to the guys that need the reps heading into the playoffs. So I completely understand why you're doing that. Experience. You're doing it to give them experience, which is how we segue on this podcast into the question we put out last week at the end on Friday's episode regarding experience. So the idea is you've got player A is, I think Tim said this one actually, is Anthony Davis, who's got multiple years in the league. He's a transcendent star. He's very untested in the playoffs, where it's a completely different type of basketball. Against a guy like Jason Tatum, that's also going to be a transcendent star. He's got less years in the league, but he's got two deep playoff runs. Who do you find more valuable? If both of them are available at the same time, and they're both going to cost you the same amount of money on free agency in a vacuum. Which one do you take if you're a team that expects to be going deep into the playoffs? I think it goes without saying. Of course, we're going to be biased on this subject, I think. But when you look at it from a Celtics perspective, there was an opportunity. There was a window where it could have been, hey, you can get Anthony Davis, but for Jason Tatum or Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So that adds context to this a little bit more. But when you're looking at it from that perspective of do you want minimum playoff experience with elite regular season play, or do you want someone who is a little bit younger, has had a deeper playoff run, and still has that same potential? I think you have to go with the younger option there. I mean, from what we've seen with Jason Tatum, they were minutes away from an NBA's finals berth, and that was his rookie season, and he's only gotten better since then. So it really depends on what you're watching the game for. I think, you know, Anthony Davis is a big name. He is one of the best big men, if not the best big man in the league. And he's been in the year. He's been in the league for a few years now. He's been in the playoffs just barely. 
but now he finally has that opportunity to have a deep playoff run, and we have no idea what to expect. With Jason Tatum, we've seen him have these deep playoff runs. We've seen him step up in big moments. We've seen him boom LeBron on national TV. So with that being said, my immediate pick would be the younger player with the deeper playoff run. Because to be able to do that at a younger, less experienced level and be able to still get that far is a testament to how high that player's ceiling is. I think if you're able to go out there and do that kind of damage at that young of an age with that little experience, imagine what you get with a few more years under your belt. You get a, you get a perennial contender with those so kind I, of players. I put this question out into the Slack channel for Celtics blog and Adam Spinella replied to me. Now, if you guys don't know who Adam Spinella is, he's been on this show before. He's a coach of a D3 team, collegiate team. He really, really knows his ball, like intricately understands his basketball. And his response was, there's a difference between experience and winning experience. Brown and Tatum have gotten to see what it takes to reach team success early in their careers while shouldering a relatively low load. Others, such as DeMarcus Cousins, don't have playoff experience, but have plenty of wisdom for how to carry a team every night for an 82-game season. Are Tatum and Brown better off for having Pete behind the curtain and see what playoff basketball looks like? Absolutely. But that opportunity doesn't necessarily mean they're more prepared to be an alpha on a playoff team than someone like Cousins in his prime would have been. So what he's saying is just because you haven't been to the playoffs, basketball's basketball. You might, be, you might understand what it, what's required a little bit more like Brown and Tatum will do once the playoffs come around. But a guy like Davis that is widely expected to taste finals basketball this year should still be able to dominate because he still understands what it's required to carry a team over 82 games. Now all that you need to do is carry a team over three or four series. It's easily translatable, regardless of the type of basketball and the physicality of basketball that's played experience in the playoffs and experience in the regular season is still experience. Do you kind of go with that or are you feeling like playoff basketball is so different that that experience is more valuable? So yes and no. So I think that regular season basketball, of course, is important, especially when you look at the context of how many games you have to play with a given team. You know, you're playing all 82 games and you're the best player on that team and you're putting in work night in, night out. Versus playoff basketball, I think it really depends on what level you're looking at and what the expectations were for that team. I think context is really important. And that's also what makes the situation with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown so special, especially when they made that run to game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. The context of that situation outweighs the context of the situation that a guy like DeMarcus Cousin was, was in or a guy like Anthony Davis was in. You know, the Celtics situation where they lost two stars and you had these two young players who were both top three picks come into a situation and say, you know what, I'm going to leave my fingerprints all over this game. And they come in and they took it over. And I don't think anyone expected them to play at that level at that point. And I think that's just a given to the situation of how those players are made up. And I think having a deep playoff run like that with those expectations in the context of I have to step into the shoes of Gordon Hayward. I have to step into the scoring role of Kyrie Irving because we don't have those guys. They're out. They're not coming back. So I'll put this out. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that immediately 
the level of expectations for that team dropped, but then they kept pushing. And that's just impressive. So I put this out onto Twitter because I wanted to see what other people's thoughts were about this because I find it quite an interesting kind of caveat to have a discussion about something that's so minimal but could also be so impactful. So we've got the Celtics blog Twitter account. So one of the guys from Celtics blog, I'm assuming it was Jeff. Shout out Jeff. Jeff's awesome. Put like most things, I think it has a bigger impact either way on guys who aren't top tier talents. Or said another way, the best of the best ball out from day one. I understand that if you're not one of the top tier guys and you've not experienced playoff basketball until very late in your career, you're going to find it much harder than a rotation guy that's been experiencing it from day one. Think Terry Rozier if he wasn't in Charlotte. Then we've got DG Smithwood, big big time listener on the show, very good, cool guy. Souths made it to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, led by first-year Tatum, second-year Brown, and third-year Rozier. I think a bench of youth, with, of youth with veteran starters can go all the way versus needing a bench of old bums like the Lakers. <laughs> I find that, yeah, that was um, a little bit smoky through all the smoke. It's spicy. Mark Fury, who's from the... He does a podcast. I can't remember what it's called right now. I'm sorry, Mark. What's it called? The Section 5 podcast. There we go. There you go. Uh, Mark's a cool guy. He's been on a couple of the fan calling episodes previously. Put the better player, regardless of experience, if they're even the one with the highest ceiling. Basically, playoff experience is nice, but he doesn't really care if they have a ton of it. If you can play, you can play. And this seems to be the resounding response. If you can play ball, then playoff basketball and regular season basketball aren't going to make a difference. The debate will continue to rage on until the end of the playoffs where I start picking out guys in their first year of playoff experience. I'm going to do a bit of a dive on this and we will continue. We're going to hit break because it's nice to break. We need liquid because of how much we're talking. And we'll be back shortly. have returned and the joke and we're back so the final topic we want to hit on which we're going to be doing at the end of every episode moving forward because we want to add value to your daily routines we feel like you're nice enough to listen we should be nice enough to touch on things happening around the league and things happen around the league a lot so the first thing i want to touch on is draymond green getting fined fifty thousand dollars or is it fifteen thousand 50000 Yeah, I was right the first time. He got fined $50,000. That's probably as much as they paid him to go on TNT. That was a free appearance at that point. That was a, do you consider it tampering? Is it tampering? I think it was borderline tampering. Do we have like specifically what he said? Yeah, I, I know it word for word because I've watched it a few times because I find it so funny. He, he specifically said, you need to get Booker the hell out of Phoenix. Sorry, Chuck. But what I'm saying, <laughs> this is ad-lib, but what I'm saying is that Booker should be put in a position where he can play his best basket, great basketball on a basketball team that can win every night. And then when asked if he was tampering, his response was maybe. Have you not seen the video, Tim? I've seen bits and pieces of it. I hadn't watched the original clip. Oh, it's brilliant. Soon, well, because he talks off the cuff all the time, right? It's Draymond Green. Draymond Green is a talker. He says a lot of stuff. I mean, I think it's tampering. Yes, I think it's tampering. But 
I don't know in the context of that situation, I don't know what realistically, how would Golden State go about getting him anyway? I don't know. It just seems foolish to me to, to yeah, I mean, tamper yeah, him. But so, they asked him, they asked him, they were like, do you think your comments are tampering? He was like, maybe. I mean, more so, not so much for like, is it possible for Golden State to acquire Booker? Because that's not the question at hand. The question at hand is, was his comments designed to tamper? My outlook on it is you were brought in as an analysis and you were asked your opinion on a player and you gave your honest and open opinion. It just so happened that you play for a team where you feel like he would be fantastic. Yeah. And that's it's kind of difficult because you got put in that spot. I don't know. You're, Either you're, way, you're, it's funny, right? It's yeah, it's definitely funny, especially because he's just like laughing it off after he got fined. He's just like, yeah, whatever, screw it. Yeah, you find me fifty thousand dollars. I'm really, really. I'm looking down a bottle of um whiskey at that point, listening to a very sad country music, <laughs> wondering how am I gonna find this check. Moving forwards, we've got Ben Simmons is most likely out for the playoffs. Drew Allen Bead went down with what looked like an ankle sprain. Does this may does this mean that he will be out for the first round? Does it? Are we are we are we hopeful, or is this mind games? I feel like he'll be back within one to two games. I think they're being overcautious. You know, we talked about it a little bit in the group chat, but I think it's just a matter of hey, we know we don't have Ben Simmons. He just had a loose body taken out of his knee. He's going to miss the entirety of this season. Now he's missing the rest of it. So we need Joel Embiid in order to field a competitive basketball team. They need one or the other or both. And because Simmons is out, I think they're just being cautious with Embiid. They know how many problems he's had with his feet before. He's had a broken foot that allowed him to be drafted in the way he was and kind of given time to develop. So anything to correlate with his health and make sure that he is okay for the playoffs, they're going to do it. I mean, at this point in time, seeding doesn't matter as much as it used to. They're going to make the playoffs. And it's more so just making sure that they're healthy. And I don't blame them for trying to do that. And as we're speaking, there's just been a bit of a Woj tweet. I haven't read it yet, but I saw Aiton's name. Aiton's description of his slow walk to Williams Hotel room to inform him of his early season suspension is terrific. Okay, it's nothing important. So we move on. Phoenix, though, while we're talking about Aiton, and we've kind of hit on Phoenix from Draymond Green's perspective, where apparently, sorry, Chuck, but you got to get out of Phoenix is you know, they're putting together probably the best record in the bubble right now. They're still 5-0, and right? They're, they're yet to be beaten. They're the Coach Carter dream team right now. This is what's happening. They, they have a chance to play that plan, you know, at this point. Yeah. 5-0. and I mean, they could beat out Portland. I mean, their roster is actually quite nice if you look at it. They've got some really good core pieces. I'm intrigued. I feel like if they don't make it, then they're going to feel like that hard done by because they have by far and by far and away been the best team not in the already guaranteed the playoff spot across both conferences. They're fighting tooth and nail to try and get into the picture. And now you've got the Pelicans are out, the Kings are out. Grizzlies. In my head. Yeah. I'm listening to that song in my head. I'm playing. I want to break free, but what they're singing is I want to play ball. (laughs) <laughs> I want to play ball. That's what they're going for. They just want to play playoff basketball, man. And they've got the talent there. DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker are a great duo. Ricky Rubio isn't to be messed with. Um, I saw something the other day. I can't remember where I saw it. 
saying he's one of like the elite guys in the league when it comes to getting to the line. You're going to feast in playoff basketball if you can keep getting to the line. People make a living at the line in the playoffs. Man, imagine if this team had TJ Warren. <laughs> Did you see that TJ Warren is the Michael Jordan of the bubble? <laughs> it lines up, man. You know what? That checks out. I, I understand that. <laughs> I don't want to face Indy, man. I don't want to face Indy in the first round. I don't want it. My outlook on it is you have to beat what's in front of you and you have to beat the best to be a champion. So I don't care who they get in the first round. Okay, I, think it's, I think it's Philly. You think it's... Yeah, it's going to be Philly. I'm kind of more scared of Philly without Simmons than I am with. See, the, the thing with that that I tend to disagree with a little bit, I know that you've talked about it before where you're saying you don't have to worry about playing Simmons and Embiid at the same time anymore because Simmons is out, which means that you can just run the best optimal team that you can with it built around Embiid. But I think Simmons caused a lot of matchup problems as... We've talked about before, if you play him at the one versus playing him at the four, if you're playing him at the one, he's a size mismatch. He's playing smothering defense. He really knows how to defend Tatum well. So that creates a lot of problems. So my opinion on it is just, I think you're able to defend them a little bit better if you're having Embiid out there with no Simmons because you can pin down on Embiid. He's the guy you have to focus on defensively. But I also think they have to play Al Horford now, so that slows them down a little bit, which is going to help you. I think there's a lot of factors going in Boston's favor for this. I think this is – I think Philly is a less dangerous team without Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons creates a lot of matchup problems, even if he can't shoot that three ball. Against Boston, they're far more less dangerous because Ben Simmons is the guy that penetrates for them, and Boston really struggle when guys beat them off a dribble drive penetration coming in from the top of the key. That's proven. That's how a lot of teams attack them. They go for like a point of attack and just drive that ball and kick it out. Without Simmons, you don't really have that. But what, as you mentioned, what I've said before is it removes the issue of how do we get Simmons and Embiid to play together? How do we get the most out of best of them? Now your focus is on how do we make Embiid become the most transcendent player in this series? How do we get him to shoulder the load? And these are questions that we're going to see answered over the next few weeks, especially once the matchups are confirmed. We will be back later in the week, though, when we'll have a better idea of what matchups are confirmed. Until then, we're going to leave you with this notion. Gordon Hayward dropped 30-plus points. That's it. That's, that's all we need to end it on. Gordon Hayward dropped 30-plus <laughs> points. It, it's done. It's done. We will catch you again later in the week, guys. It was just me and Tim today. We hope you enjoyed it. We tried to bring you some light-hearted analysis. Cheers. There we go. I was waiting for you to say bye. <laughs>